Welcome to Tegan Goes Vegan. I'm your host, Tegan Karuna. This week, I spoke with Jordan Wyatt, who is the founder of the Invercargill Vegan Society in New Zealand. And so uh, scheduling this interview was kind of a pain because he is 18 hours ahead of me. And so we were speaking to each other on different days. It sounds like New Zealand is a really interesting place for a lot of reasons, but specifically for vegan reasons, because dairy is one of the major exports. And so there's just like so much animal agriculture all over the country. And it's such an important part of the economy that being vegan there is like very, it's like less, even less mainstream, it seems like. And so what Jordan and I talked about was kind of how that seems to be changing, especially with this whole vegan pie in the gas station, like one of the gas stations there, there's this big, there's like a huge deal that they got this basically like a vegan hand pie, kind of like an empanada type thing that, you know, all of the other ones are not vegan. And then this one, you know, he goes into it a little bit more, but basically they got this vegan pie into this gas station and then found out that one of the ingredients in it actually wasn't vegan. And people were obviously upset, as they should be. And then this company seems to have done a really nice job of dealing with the problem and was like not a pain to deal with and like had really good customer service and all that stuff. So it's it's interesting to talk to him because it sounds like there is significant change happening in New Zealand and that there's a lot of hope there, even though animal agriculture is a big part of the country's economy, that, that people are changing their minds and people are starting to understand and starting to put things together. So Jordan and I had a really nice long conversation and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. He has a very soothing, relaxing accent. So, um, you know, if you need a little bit of calming time, this is probably a good interview for you. So here he is, Jordan Wyatt. So tell me about how you became vegan. You became vegan eight years ago, right? About eight years ago, yes. So I started off... um, my journey to veganism um, as someone who loved animals all his life and I've got my happiest childhood memory it's of holding these sweet little baby chicks when I was a little boy and I'm lucky enough that my parents actually took a photo of it that there's this little boy with curly hair and he's sitting on this duvet it's colourful duvet uh, bedspread and I've got these day old baby chicks and it's just it's so obvious that this little boy me <laughs> obviously loves little animals and uh, I guess that's how I just put it together over time that I thought about meat at first and flesh and leather, animal skin, and it all just came together. And it was basically the silence of the lambs is how I say it all came together. It culminated in thinking about the silence of the lambs, killing people, wearing their skin, you know, the skin that did it for me, preserved dead skin. And it all started from there. <laughs> That's really interesting. I wonder how many other people made that connection with Silence of the Lambs. I, I bet you're not the only person to... Uh, to go vegan after watching that movie. <laughs> well, it's interesting that um, Anthony Hopkins, he's actually vegetarian, a long-time vegetarian. And in the sequel movie, Hannibal, on top of, during that gross brain scene, on top of the refrigerator and that, it's got a book called something like The Joy of Vegetarian Cooking or something. <laughs> so it's quite cool. It's like a little Easter egg if you watch Hannibal, the second movie. It's actually there. You can make it out. <laughs> That's really funny. So you kind of, at what point did you realize that, so was it a, let me, let me rephrase, was it kind of a slow process for you or was it a, a kind of clear cut like, oh, wow, this is, this is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong and I need to change. It was probably a relatively slow thing. It had probably been simmering away for a few months or so before I took it seriously in 2006. And for my New Year's resolution for 2007, um, I just decided I was going to stop eating animals. And I didn't really... I knew about vegetarians. I'd met a vegetarian once or twice. And uh, I basically cut out animal products and anything that involved animals over time. It started out with flesh and wearing their skin and uh, cow's milk. That was pretty quick, more or less instantly. I ate uh, bird's eggs for a while, I think, and there was probably some other things like that which took me... 
I don't know, maybe up to a year, let's say, for the total transition from sort of vegetarian to vegan. It took something like a year, let's say. But it, it was kind of like on January 1st, 2007, you were like, this is the year. This is it. That, I'm doing it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the last time I ate animals directly their bodies. Yeah, it just sort of it stopped for my New Year's resolution. And I've stuck with it ever since, so. <laughs> is it, how was it? Like, how did it feel to be making such a big change kind of like on you know on on one day just making that decision i felt a bit like a rolling stone you know how does it feel to be on your own <laughs> like a rolling stone <laughs> as the song goes um i was the only vegan i knew and so that was it was hard at first my father was a slaughterhouse worker and i live in a rural area of new zealand in vicargo it's a little city of 50,000 um, New Zealand's the biggest dairy exporter in the world. Uh, we have slaughterhouses all around our city. My father worked at one. Lots of my friends, my childhood friends, grew up to be dairy farmers or slaughterhouse workers. Um, nearby, there's a sheep's milk factory and butcher shops all around us and the taxidermy place. And there's an area just out of town about 10 kilometers or so from where we live that does uh, xenotransplantation and does weird diabetes research. What on is pigs. xenotransplantation? Uh, moving organs from one species to another. What? Um, so they're doing weird experiments on these pigs. It's a long story, but they're called the Auckland Island pigs. They're from the Auckland Islands, which are near Antarctica down the bottom. And they were basically, these wild pigs were released on these little <laughs> uh, isolated islands just in case whalers and sealers back in the day who went down there got shipwrecked. If they landed on these islands, if they made it to shore of these little islands in the middle of nowhere down there, they'd have animals to kill and so they released these animals down there um they're basically disease free is the easy way of putting it the layman's way they don't they're not exposed to viruses and things down there the same they they're just free of other pigs so they've sort of evolved independently over a hundred years reverted and become more wild and basically these pigs are well they're disease free is how they talk about them they were going to be wiped out in modern days because our department of conservation decided oh, there's pigs down on these like rocky islands in the middle of nowhere, this crappy little hellhole, cold island near Antarctica. <laughs> we better kill all the pigs there. We can't have them there disturbing seabirds' nests or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's just a weird story. And they basically killed all of them. They saved a couple, turned out they're disease-free, and now they breed them in sterile, hygienic laboratory conditions, really. And they're kept isolated in an airtight sort of environment, and they get hosed down a couple times a day. And they do something with their pancreas. It's something about generating insulin, insulin in people with diabetes and uh, other products that they're working to experiment and use them for. It's really bizarre. And this is all happening about 10 kilometers from where I actually live. So it's a non-vegan world out there, Tegan. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> wow. So it sounds to me like you are kind of surrounded by lots of animal agriculture um, and, and animal industry. I think, at least in my experience, because I live in a city, all everything is very far from me. I don't have to, to confront it, and I, I certainly don't know anybody who works in slaughterhouses or as a dairy farmer. So what is that like for you? <laughs> it can be hard at times. Um, so our next-door neighbor on the left, I'm sitting in our little office, and the house next door to us is just a few meters away, and the guy that lives there at the moment, he's a slaughterhouse worker. So there's one living on the left side of me, as I talk to you now, and on the other side, the previous tenants of the house on the other side, they were a slaughterhouse worker as well. So um, in New Zealand, we're quite an animal agriculture-based economy. Dairy is our biggest part of the economy, and uh, it can be brutal. It can be hard and it can be tough feeling like you're the only one that feels this way and that animals should have rights, that animals matter, that we should love and care and look out for animals, really. Um, but it's good in New Zealand as well that we do have a growing animal rights movement, which is really fantastic to see. And I think in general our media is really covering veganism in a positive way. It seems to be we're at a tipping point, basically. It's really great to see vegan stories in our mainstream New Zealand media. Every couple of days, every week, there's something about veganism or a dairy cruelty expose or a vegan pie now available at petrol stations. It's yeah, really cool. I was going to ask you about that because I, I see that it there's a bit of a snafu with that. So would you tell me kind of how 
this vegan pie situation began and then let's talk about the the newest news about it <laughs> i would love to so basically there's a petrol station here z you might call it z <laughs> yes <laughs> zero z it probably doesn't matter to them um this petrol station had an online competition for their new pies that they sell in their bakery in the petrol station and the what would you call it a gas station mm-hmm. gas station yep. gas station yeah petrol station fuel station it does the same purpose yeah. zero z it's all the same puts puts the fuel um, in your car so you can get somewhere and then also get a snack <laughs> so they had this competition to design a new pie and basically vegan saw this saw it was an online voting system we're like yeah let's game the system mm-hmm. <laughs> so every vegan in new zealand voted on this competition every day we all entered vegan pies we just flooded it basically we stuffed the ballot boxes with <laughs> vegan entries <laughs> And it was so cool, like everyone came together and we're like an army just like voting, 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 voting. In the end of this competition, the top 20 pies out of the top 20, 19 were vegan. 19 out of 20 wow. were totally vegan. They were called like the vegan Mexican gourmet or the vegan this or the veganator or the vegan, 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 the vegan animal rights pie. <laughs> <laughs> so we won. We absolutely took over. And a farming group online, they saw what we were doing basically like, hey, vegans are like 1% of the population. How come they're absolutely dominating the charts of this pie competition? So they tried to stage a comeback against us. And in the end, all the non-vegans of New Zealand or the ones that got pissed off about it anyway, that the vegans are winning, they did manage to get one pie in the top 20. And uh, we won in the end, though. The petrol station said, hey, let's make a vegan pie. Obviously, these guys are really cool. They're super handsome and lovely and talented. They deserve a vegan pie. Of course. (laughs) So they made one. And, yeah, the Mexican gourmet. It's kind of like a nacho filling and a lovely, sweet, flaky pastry. Sort of a nacho mix is how I'd describe it. It's really good. It sounds good. I would like one. I don't have any (laughs) options like that at our gas stations. (laughs) So, so. It just recently launched, right? It did, yeah. The competition was a couple months ago, and it took a few weeks to get the pies available, and then it just launched in the media, and it was so cool to see this, just vegan pie, vegan pie, vegan pie. It's on the radio, it's in the newspapers, it's on the TV news. The person who created it, Gemma, she was interviewed seemingly every day about the vegan pie and how she still hasn't been able to have one because they keep selling out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just... You couldn't buy this kind of press, and it just it happened from people being creative and pragmatic and working together, strategic voting, basically, to make this happen. And it was a cool, quirky story that the, the media really loved it. They lapped it up, and yeah, it's been popular ever since the vegan pie just keeps selling out. <laughs> and it, it seems like it, it has the potential to open the door for more vegan products to be more widely available, or at least getting... Yeah corporation's attention that there's a demand for something that's not just meat and dairy based absolutely it's great for everyone in terms of someone avoids dairy for allergy or health reasons or whatever it helps everyone it's a broad market and it's trendy i mean it says vegan on it Vegan's quite a trendy word in new zealand and many parts of the world it's seen as a selling point that they're proud that these are vegan products and people actually want to try it they think it's healthy they can see that it's you know good for animals of course um, and it's tasty, so it's selling really well. It's really interesting that you say that the word vegan is used as a positive marketing tool. I had a, a guest a couple weeks ago who um, owns a vegan wholesale food business, so he makes a bunch of baked goods and, and other things that he then sells to cafes and things like that around Philadelphia. And he was saying that one of the strategies that they've found works the best is to not label things as vegan and have vegans ask for it. Because if you label a muffin as vegan, people won't buy it as often as if you just say, oh, it's a chocolate chip muffin. And, and so for them, they have found in their retail locations that, that like not saying that it's vegan is a much better marketing strategy. It could be both approaches, I guess. Like, and some some people be really attracted to it. Uh, generally, like with this vegan pie, if we use that as an example of being really popular because it's vegan, it got all the press attention because it's vegan. And even in small towns with like 200 people live in them, it's just a petrol station, a gas station, and a couple houses. Even these places have big chalkboard signs outside, and it says, "Yes, we've got the vegan pie." Because <laughs> oh everyone's going crazy about it. Everyone loves it. That's yeah. that's really cool. Like I, I, that gives me a lot of hope 
that the word vegan doesn't have to necessarily be a bad word in terms of marketing. Yeah, I definitely think it's seen as trendy. I mean, just in terms of health alone, it's often seen as healthier. And I think especially the ethics as it's starting to come to the front. Here in New Zealand, that we're having more and more exposés about animal use industries, about the cruelty of the dairy industry, which is the main industry for our whole economy, is dairy. Dairy and tourism, they sort of trade places every now and then. Um, They're always the biggest two. And so to have us actually exposing, hey, dairy's actually not that cool. It's kind of a good idea when you're an adult to be weaned off milk, you know. Mm-hmm. We yeah. can live in a kinder way, a way that's better for our environment and that's kinder for the animals. And so the the newest controversy about these pies is that it turns out that they had a non-vegan ingredient in the first batches, right? Yeah, well, I was really upset, and uh, when I found out that this was going to go public, I was like, oh, crap, like, it's just the media's going to turn on us. I imagine the farmers would be like, you see, they couldn't do it after all, those vegans, they're all hypocrites, and they're Mm -hmm. all being poisoned with this non-vegan ingredient. Mm -hmm. But the company handled it in the best way. The pies are already off the market because they're so popular that they were sold out, so it wasn't harming anyone that, like, vegans weren't able to buy them in the first place, so no one else was getting harmed from that point on. And they really owned up to it and handled it really well. It only turns out that a customer asked them about it if it had this one little e-number, E920, which is often called flour improver, if it's mentioned at all. It's not always mentioned, apparently, in the ingredients list. And basically that at the media and the the tone of it, because the previous stories have been so positive, this actually turned into a positive story as well. It was like, look at this creepy thing that's in pies. Mm. Who wants to eat this thing made out of bird's feathers? It's just gross. And the comments online were along those lines for the most part. It was, I don't want to be eating feathers. Like, why are there feathers in my pie? And so Zed, the petrol station, they owned up to it. They said, we had a ne- next batch on the way for these sold-out pies. We're going to donate all the pies we've made. They're going to go to a charity, probably a homeless shelter, so it's helping people in that way. And the next batch will be totally vegan. And not only that, but all the pies they get made for these petrol stations nationwide none of them would have bloody feathers in them anymore. That's <laughs> because great. Because everyone was just like, why are there feathers in a pie? And so they could see the vegan side. they just see like, oh, I don't want to eat feathers. And they could make that connection that veganism, it's about helping animals. And part of that is you don't want to eat feathers. <laughs> yeah, that I was looking at their Facebook page before our chat today, and they seem to be handling it so well, the, the company. That just like very like understanding and kind about it. It's really quite interesting to see. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think they see that the demand's there and they've handled it really well and the vegan community's pretty understanding about it. We're excited to have the vegan pie back and yeah, it's it's a win all around. It's just continued good press for veganism, the idea of animal rights and that we can live with having tasty pies available at 3 a.m. at a petrol station. (laughs) And they're totally vegan. They will be when they return. What sounds like it's really good about it is that it's kind of connecting the disgust that a person would have at the idea of eating feathers (laughs) with the fact that a vegan pie shouldn't have something disgusting in it. I think that, that that has the potential to bring a lot of people's kind of cognitive dissonance a little bit closer to um, to, to making the connections that I, I think that you and I both want them to be making. <laughs> well, absolutely. It's that disgust factor, isn't it? The, the yuck response that people have. The way I had it with animal skin, it was sort of the main thing that did it for me, the thought of dead preserved skin on my living skin. It was just, I didn't want to do that. If people feel that way about eating ground-up feathers, uh, it's the same similar kind of response. And to see that, for the most part, people have handled it really well. People, mainstream society, have seen this. They've said, I don't want to have pies with feathers in it. They see that the vegan pie is great. They can understand, obviously, it doesn't have animals in it. And uh, it seems the obvious choice that more people are buying the vegan pie, and I would bet, are really considering veganism and just animal-friendly living in general. So you mentioned that your dad was a slaughterhouse worker. So I kind of want to go back to that. Uh, that is what, how has that played out for you? Becoming a vegan activist with a family that whose livelihood depended or, or depends on, um, on the animal industry. 
Well, it, it's good in a lot of ways in terms of getting different perspectives uh, and remembering that I wasn't, I've only been vegan a very short time. I'm 28. I've been vegan about eight years. I was vegetarian about six months a year before that. I'm really new to this. I haven't been vegan all my life and I can see, like most vegan activists, that we know that we haven't always been this way. We weren't born vegan. Very few vegans were born vegan. Um, it's been useful to, to meet people that are absolutely on the other side of the whole equation, let's say, and to be able to talk to them, to be pragmatic, to be able to see these people aren't my enemy. Uh, it's just the way we're raised with speciesism, that we're socialized to believe it's okay to herd and kill animals, that we just don't think about it, isn't it? Um, it was routine business for a slaughterhouse worker that that's just what they did. That's what they grew up in a world where that happened, where that was normal for them. And so when you told your parents that you were becoming vegan, what was their response like? Well, my father will never quite understand it, I don't think. Um, yeah, I, I don't see him as being willing to change in any way, let's say. But they accept that it's something I feel passionately about, and they still eat animals. Um, they, they can obviously see why I'd feel this way, and uh, I think they think it's a valid approach, and I, at least I hope that they're thinking about it. They can certainly see that the world seems to be changing. Even the people the most obstinate and don't see themselves as capable of changing the way they eat or the clothes they wear or whatever, they can see that, hey, the vegan pie is in the news again like it was yesterday and the day before and the week before. They see that this actually seems to be a rising social justice movement and, yeah, it's it's just happening. <laughs> right, and the more times vegan is printed and, and said on TV and on the radio and all of that, like that's just more exposure. It's kind of like aversion therapy. Absolutely. I think you've really hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, in terms of getting the word out there, just making it so mainstream, so normal that it's vegan pies are available everywhere, that you see it advertised on chalkboards in little rural small towns that they have a vegan pie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I like being part of everything I can to get the word out there, to have support, encouragement, and to help people make animal-friendly vegan choices. Like even the slaughterhouse worker who lives next door or the one on the other side, they know that in between them, there's this guy that has Go Vegan painted on the roof of his house <laughs> out the back. It's painted in three-meter letters, um, 10 feet or something like that, letters. Or for once, we had a hedge out the front and we trimmed Go Vegan into that. They see that this word's getting out there. <laughs> <laughs> they can be sitting on the toilet watching YouTube videos or something, and this Wi-Fi network pops up, and the Wi-Fi network's called Go Vegan. Oh <laughs> so we're growing. They can see the influence of animal rights is growing in New Zealand. <laughs> and I'm sure that you're you're a great neighbor too. Like you're probably like a very friendly, nice person to live next to. So they can't even really dislike you. <laughs> I hope so. I think that's a big part of our vegan activism, that our main thing that we do when we meet people is we think, hey, they might not have ever met a vegan before. They might not really have a clue about um, veganism and animal rights in general. And we want to show them, well, what is a vegan? A vegan's a normal person. A vegan's my neighbor. A vegan's my brother. We have vegans that are, I'm a woodworker. My wife works in administration. We have vegans here in the local area that are principals and deputy um, principals and teachers and postal delivery workers and everything, florists, that vegans are a normal part of the community. And so I think that would be my main point when we're talking with people at our street stalls or giveaways or events or posters or anything like that. We want to put in a good, friendly face for veganism that we're really about peace. We're saying that it's quite cool to be vegan. It's nice to be vegan. Let's help animals in need, basically. Yeah, one of the things that I am... Um learning from many from all of the people that I've talked to so far for the show is that one of the things that's most important is showing compassion to all animals including human animals and <laughs> and being kind to people is that is among the most important things that we can do as kind of ambassadors for this worldview and and I, it really, I'm very, I'm always very pleased when I hear that that is, is a big part of somebody's activism, is that going out and being a friendly face and be, being willing to have conversations is something that, that, is of, that is very valued for you. Exactly. I think 
and it's important to remember that vegans are just normal people, really. That we do have social skills and that we can have a conversation. And <laughs> we're just normal. Like we don't have to be just a definition on Wikipedia or something. Like what's a vegan? Like it technically, you know, it exists, but you don't really know one. Well, we want to make it so people actually do know what a vegan looks like, or their kids go to a school where the principal is vegan, or their teacher's vegan, or the mailman he's vegan. <laughs> and that's true. That's even in a small community like here in Invercargill, here in the bottom of New Zealand. We have vegans everywhere and they're business owners and, you know, they're good people generally. I swear sometimes I'm working on it. Well, this year's New Year's resolution. <laughs> I'm trying not to swear so much. Oh, no, that's fine. So. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe it'll stick just as well as the vegan one. And then I you'll just so. become like the most, the most like child-friendly person around. You'll just never swear. <laughs> well, sometimes like what you're saying about how most vegans get that we have to be polite and friendly and just welcoming and supportive really um sometimes it's hard isn't it when you have to deal with i don't i call them silly questions you get some really silly questions that don't have a lot of thought in them or more what your friends might share on facebook for example last night i have a friend that's a lab technician she's a smart woman she's smart really capable she has a great job she's competent she's capable of so much more than the argument she put forward last night which was a picture of adam sandler <laughs> a meme adam sandler with the with the words dear vegetarians if you're trying to save the animals why are you eating their food and it's adam sandler like going huh. and it's like you're so much better than that you know? <laughs> yeah I, I kept it friendly it's kind of fun to have a little little bit of a uh, joke at them in the same way like if they're having a not quite serious question to you you have a not quite serious answer and to them i said like it's adam sandler i said you know team herbivore we've got einstein and tesla and coretta scott king the civil rights activist martin luther king jr's wife gandhi you know they're vegan or vegetarian and so if you've got adam sandler as your wide saint you know, <laughs> if that's if that's the brightest mind of the meat-eating movement you know, it's adam sandler who hasn't made a good movie in a what since happy gilmore or something <laughs> and even that's kind of debatable Oh, it was great at the time. Uh, great at the time. <laughs> the the funniest response that I have heard to that particular argument is, it's not that, and maybe this is like not, maybe this isn't a great response, and it's not necessarily something I would say, but um, it's not that vegans love animals; it's that they hate plants, and so that's why they <laughs> eat plants. And I always thought that was like such a dumb response for such a dumb question. <laughs> like that's just it. Just again, it's just kind of that like silly question, silly answer kind of thing. I, I do put myself in their shoes though. Like maybe I haven't even been vegan for a decade yet, and maybe ten years ago I would have shared something like this. I don't know. It, it can feel hard to remember what it was like in some ways. It can feel like you've went vegan and you're just a totally different person. But I know that maybe a decade ago. I, I thought the vegetarians in my family were kind of demanding or annoying. I had a couple of vegetarians in my distant family, and I'd see them once every couple of years. And it seemed to be a pain when you ordered, like, takeaways, for example. We used to ring up for fish and chips. That's the classic Kiwi <laughs> tradition for takeaways, fish mm. and chips, fried, deep-fried batter. And, like, if you're not vegan or vegetarian at the time, you go to a fish and chip shop, it's like, yeah, I'll have a dollar's chips and a hot dog, please. You know, a sausage on a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, it was always more like, do you use animal fat or vegetable oil? And then it was like, do you have samosa here? Are the samosa vegetarian? Then, of course, that took them 30 seconds to check um, if the samosa were, were vegan or vegetarian. And so I could see that when I had these distant family members who were vegetarian that they came, I could see that it, it seemed to be complicated or it seemed to be difficult or it seemed to be just different. It, it, was, it's, it was different than everything else. And I used to think, gosh, they must think they're better than me or something like that, that I kind of internalized it until it got to the point where I realized they're actually nice people. These vegetarians are really lovely people. They're my cousins. I see them not often, um, not as often as I would like to see them. And actually, it was me that had the problem. I was the defensive one, and I was just sort of picking up that, yeah, they had to ask a question like, do you cook it in clean vegetable oil, or do you cook it in gross, gnarly animal fat? And it's like, well, when you think of it that way, that's kind of a reasonable enough thing to ask. They're going to a new business. They didn't know how it was cooked. It's no big deal. And um, I saw that it was me that had the problem with them, basically, rather than the other way around. They actually weren't being that difficult. And once I got past my own defensiveness about how I ate and how I lived, I could see that, hey, the vegetarians are actually kind of cool people. 
And so that's what I try and do with our animal rights activism here, that we try and show that vegans are friendly, nice, <laughs> easy enough to get along with people. <laughs> and we try and be supportive of, re- of everyone as they're learning about veganism and to not make fun of them, except if they share Adam Sandler memes like that. Well, yeah. I mean, anyone sharing an Adam Sandler meme probably deserves to be <laughs> poked at a little bit. <laughs> so let me ask you this. This is a question that I've been kind of struggling with and... Um, Maybe you can give me some insight. So I have a number of friends who are very into pit bull rescue. I don't know if you guys have the same issues with pit bulls, um, where such a stigmatized breed because of what people do to these animals, not because of any inherent problem that that pit bulls have. Um, And then these are the same people who will then post pictures of their steak or talk about bacon or, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, you know, they're, they're always posting about pit bull rescue and their foster dogs and all of that kind of stuff. And then also talking about their steak. Like, there is a, a part of me that tries to remember, like, okay, at least they're kind of thinking about some animals as needing as being worthy of being treated well and all of that but at the same time it's like the disconnect is so strong and it i have no intention of reaching out to them one of one of the people is a former professor of mine i'm, I'm probably not going to uh you know bother him about this kind of stuff but you know what what would you do in that situation have you experienced anything like that it's almost like we planned this. <laughs> I swear we didn't. But I actually know an animal rescuer down here who does amazing work, Forever Homes. It's a Facebook page which helps people rehome animals. And cats and dogs, basically. And this person, Deb, she's just amazing what she does to save all these cats and dogs. And yet it came up a conversation about veganism once that it was kind of like she said, yeah, I see what you do, but I could never be vegan or vegetarian. I'll never go veggie. And I thought, you know, I can see how she feels, and that's how I felt probably a decade ago, that if you think it's a weird or difficult or it's just something that requires thought or it's a change, and most people are hesitant to change in a way. And so I could see that she was saying, I- I'd never go veggie. And so I made a little light joke about it. I said, oh, I hope you never go turn into a veggie either, because <laughs> otherwise I might accidentally eat you since I eat veggies. <laughs> and then she said, laugh out loud, you're so funny. And then we got in a big conversation about veganism. And even though it was actually a pretty poor quality joke, basically, Adam Sandler level material, <laughs> it actually turned into a great topic that she could see that she could talk with an animal rights activist. And yeah, she helps animals. I help animals. We could talk about it and just see how veganism applies. I mean, what is veganism if it's not respect and compassion and kindness for animals? <laughs> That's what we're all about. So it, it really worked. We could bond and click. And uh, yeah, she's someone that rescues pit bulls and all animals, and they could see that connection about why veganism is a good idea. Right. Yeah. It it is kind of it's interesting because it's such a clear example of speciesism. Mm. And and that to me is really interesting because I've you know I have been vegan for less than two years so I'm really not far removed from the way that I used to think about things and I remember clearly thinking about animal abuse in terms of cats and dogs and not thinking about it in terms of animals that we use for our own purposes and so. I I am trying to remember that, but there's definitely a part of me that's just like, how can you not put this together? How can you not make this connection for yourself? So it's well, it's inspiring to hear that you had a good conversation. It's just still like, oh, it's it makes me sad. <laughs> I think it's a daily thing. Just since vegan animal rights activists are so small as an overall population, New Zealand, we're not sure what our vegan population would be, but it's probably, let's say, 1%, just to have a, a figure. And so we are outnumbered in, in a lot of ways, and it is just normal that we see ads all the time for KFC, killing friendly chickens, as I call it. <laughs> as I call it. Um, and so it's just so normal that you see this, and it's normal. My neighbor who's a slaughterhouse worker, all his friends probably work in slaughterhouses, and they definitely have barbecues and eat animal flesh and stuff, and it's just normal. So we are dealing in our own way with sort of marketing and promoting and sharing a new idea. And, uh, yeah, that's how I see it, that we just have to remember myself 10 years ago I ate animals. And for me, as someone who now rescues chickens especially, um, 
my wife and I have rescued a few hundred hens in the last couple of years, and chickens and birds in general have always been one of my animals that I was a bit speciesist about, and you know, birds have always been sort of my favourite animal. <laughs> I have to admit to that. Oh, that's funny. And here I am with this favourite childhood memory of these little baby chicks that I'm holding them, and it's so obvious that I love these little chickens, absolutely doting over them and love them. And yet I myself ate chickens until about nine or ten years ago. So <laughs> it's a weird world that that's just how we're socialized, isn't it? It it really is. It's really bizarre, especially I I was fortunate. I mean, maybe not fortunate. Maybe that's not the right word. I was not around a lot of animals as a child. And so I didn't even have to like love an animal and then eat another version of that. You know, I, I didn't have chickens that then I would go and eat a chicken dinner. So I didn't even have the opportunity to to do that. I was just so far removed from animals. And I still am really far removed from most animals. Um, it's, you know, it's all media consumption for me, how I know what's happening and all that. So it's really, it's interesting to hear that the same disconnect can happen with people who are very close to animals. Absolutely. And I guess when you are close to animals, you have to accept that, for example, chickens, everyone knows that they're eating a chicken salad or a chicken burger or whatever. They know that they're eating a chicken, although they don't think of them as a chicken. They think of them as chicken, don't they? Like just Mm -hmm. a a stock ingredient. Um, And so that, yeah, that is something that can be, can be frustrating to look back at myself and think well why didn't I make that connection earlier but uh, I guess I should be glad that I did make it and that more people are making it and that through being patient, kind supporting good people basically that we can have support for people who are starting to ask these questions why do we do this to animals? Do I want to keep doing this? Do I want feathers to be in my pie from Mm -hmm. a petrol station? (laughs) So tell me a little bit about the uh hen rescue that you have been doing well i've always loved chickens all my life and we've had times to rescue them basically from farms and the biggest rescue was from an egg farm that was closing down a few hundred kilometers away in another province and basically there were thirteen thousand hens on this egg farm and they all had to get a new home or they'd be killed thirteen thousand animals And that's just immense. We were so glad that we could help out all the animal rights activists that organized this. And we had ads, well, not ads, we had newspaper coverage about it. We got on the media, we got on television that, hey, these animal rights activists from the Invercargill Vegan Society are going to drive up to this place, to this farm. We're renting a truck. We're going to put them in cardboard boxes and bring them home. Um, Cardboard boxes that are well ventilated, by the way. I'm I'm (laughs) sure. actually packed in. And that we were bringing back all these hundreds of hens that we helped out. In the end, we rescued over 465 hens in three in three separate loads. Um, and it was just an incredible feeling to be able to get it into the media, to be able to associate veganism with rescuing these animals directly, that people could see them, that people adopted them. We had about 40 people that signed up, and so we had phone calls and organizing how many hens each person could have and that they had a safe home for them. It was an incredible experience. And, and so it was just to actually see them and to feel them and to know this hen that I'm holding now, Amelia hen or Kate or all the hens that we look after, Deborah, that they're alive because people stepped up. Um, it really makes me see the importance of really getting involved with an animal sanctuary near you or just uh, putting yourself forward that vegans get more active and showing that these are real victims that we're really helping. And so individuals adopted the hens, include, it sounds yes. like including you also. Yes, we have 12 living with us at the moment. Wow. Um, yeah, they're, they're adorable little animals, and we name most of them after um, suffragettes and um, mm. women's rights activists. So we have like Amelia here named after the aviator Amelia Earhart, mm-hmm. and Kate Shepard after a women's rights activist here in New Zealand, Kate Shepard. And then we have one with Mary. She's got broken toes, and she basically is just the sweetest little hen. She's quite small. She's dark brown. And... What we love most about Mary is that she's never given up and she's, after all, she's suffered on these farms and these cages and she's remained her great personality and who she is and how she broke her toes on one foot. I imagine that she would have been pulled out of the cage at some time. Sometimes the hens and cages get changed around. 
And she would have held on, scared, as this person came out of the darkness to pull her out of the cage. And she would have held on with her toes to the cage bottom. And as she held on, she was just pulled, and her bones and her toes all snapped. It's absolutely horrible to see that Mary's foot is set this way, and it's all twisted, sort of like a a fist, or like you're making an OK symbol with your hand, I guess, if you're sort of thumb Mm -hmm. and forefinger. It's curled up that way. And yet she walks on it, she runs like that on this leg that's all mangled like that. And she's never given up. She's got her wonderful, sweet personality. She actually runs up and jumps on your lap. She'll sit on your lap and let them pat her after all we humans have done to her. So she has a little name as well. It's a a little bit cheeky in a way. We call her Mary, but we think of her as like Mary Magdalene, like in the Bible. (laughs) It's like Mary Mangled Limb. Oh, no. But we just call her Mary. (laughs) She's such a sweet little bird that we love having a name for her and... um, and having a name for all of them, it really individualizes all the hens that people get to meet them and hear about them and ask, how's Mary doing? She's doing great. And it makes a topic about the vegans, we're really standing for someone else, that it's not a theoretical thing, that there really are these animals in these cages and in these farms and laboratories, and that vegans are really getting out to help them. We think it's great to, to promote and associate that link, that it's not just what we don't do, but it's what we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and it means that you now have chickens in your backyard next to the slaughterhouse worker so i'm sure that he's like really excited about that too (laughs) i hope so so um you and your wife have an interesting story how you when you met and all of that kind of stuff would you tell me a little bit about that sure so i guess part of that comes about how i actually started the invercargill vegan society and so I'd been vegan for a couple of years before I met another vegan, actually. And I was sort of active online mostly, but letters to the newspaper and things like that, um, just promoting veganism. And if there was a story in the news, I'd write in like a letter with a vegan sort of idea about you don't like what's happening on this farm or the slaughterhouse, try veganism or look into veganism, try a vegan meal, get interested in animal rights. And so I had this dream one night. It came to me in a dream to start a vegan society. How weird is that? Um, <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's, it was the ghost. Yeah. It was the ghost of a guy who's still alive, Roger Yates, who's an English sociologist and an animal rights activist. And he came to me in my head, and he's like, "In the Cargo Vegan Society," <laughs> like this like weird warbling ghost voice. And our actual name, Invercargill Vegan Society, and the acronym Invsoc, uh, I N V S O C. It's very similar to one of George Orwell's works, 1984. I was going to say that. That sounds so Orwellian. (laughs) Exactly, Orwellian. Ingsocinet, English socialism. We turned English socialism into Invercargill Vegan Society by changing that G to a V. (laughs) And we also ripped off Orwell, (laughs) let's hope they don't sue us, um, by using Animal Farm's famous quote that all animals are equal. And so that's what we make that connection that we're for the world of Animal Farm where the animals are safe we stand up for the animals and vegans are looking for a world of respect for everyone where literally all animals are equal so I had this little vegan society and started off with one member a one member vegan society at the bottom of the world and it was three years before I met another vegan in person and uh, so we had a website and Facebook page and things like that and basically my now wife Jenny was living nearby in Queenstown, which is a gorgeous mountain area with lakes and just gorgeous area, tourist place, like sort of Aspen, Colorado, sort of mm, like that. Yeah. And she was just searching for veganism and Google, and that popped Invercargill Vegan Society. <laughs> and she saw that we had monthly potluck dinners and things, that we had 10 or 20 or 30 members at the time. And she saw this and was like, wow, I want to get involved with these people. They're about three hours' drive away on the, on the highway. And she drove down once with a friend, just turned up at my door with a giant plate of roast vegetables and these burger patties she made called Super Quinoa Burgers. It was the first time, one of the first times I'd had quinoa and they definitely looked impressive. (laughs) Um, She just turned up and we made, we became friends, we stayed in touch. She visited us, drove the couple hours drive a couple times. And then one year for 2012, she decided that she wanted to get in touch with us for World Vegan Day. And that's a big part about how we met on World Vegan Day, that we celebrate the anniversary of veganism, really, 1st of November each year, which is World Vegan Day. And it's just great that animal rights activists all around the world come together, get active in their community, have street outreach, they have street stores and demonstrations, posters go up, 
uh, media, potlucks, dinners, things like that. And so for an example of World Vegan Day activism, in 2011 we planted a memorial tree in a public park and it's a little, it's a tree and it's got a little stone plaque with it that explains it's for the anniversary of veganism. It's by the Invercargill Vegan Society in 2011. And Jenny, my now wife, she got involved in 2012. She came down on the 1st of November 2012 and she helped me do a whole bunch of really cool things like we went to butcher shops and we gave them tofu. We went to slaughterhouse executives and we gave them vegan sausages. We went to dairy executives and we gave them plant milk. We had almond milk and soy milk and rice milk. And we basically did all these fun ways of getting vegan ideas out there that we just talked to them and said, hey, try this. Maybe you'll want to invest in the company and diversify. You know, you don't have to kill animals to make money. Try this. And we had muffin giveaways on the street as well that we had banana chocolate chip muffins that we could just go out downtown and give them away. And yeah, we had a really fun way of just getting out there on the streets, getting active, promoting veganism for World Vegan Day in 2012. And basically, when you've went up to a butcher shop and you've given them tofu, it really shows you what a person's made out of. Mm-hmm. And so we fell in love as we were doing things like that, like giving vegan sausages to butchers and sort of house workers and stuff. <laughs> we fell in love on World Vegan Day 2012. And by the next year, by 2013, World Vegan Day, we were living together in a house we rented. And then last year, sorry, two years ago, man, it feels a long time ago, doesn't it? We're 2016 now. Yeah. <laughs> Two years ago, <laughs> in 2014, we got married on World Vegan Day. So our wedding anniversary was held by the tree I planted in World Vegan Day 2011. We were there, the two of us, doing our vows and getting married by a marriage celebrant called Megan, two vegans married by a Megan on World Vegan Day. So it was pretty cool. As a, a person whose name also <laughs> rhymes with vegan, I can definitely appreciate that. <laughs> It should be like a, a thing, a Facebook group, like vegans whose names rhyme with, you know, vegan. Basically. Yeah, it'll be me and like two other people. <laughs> but we'll become the best of friends, all of us. <laughs> so how has the, um, how do you, do you call it Inversock? Is that, yes, is that how, you, how you refer to it? Okay. Inversock, yes. Inversock, okay. How has Inversock kind of taken, like what... It's grown, obviously. So what you, you've had potlucks, you've done on-the-street activism. What other kinds of stuff do you do? How have you engaged people? In- well, in, yeah, InvSoc's grown from one member to we've got about 100 now local members, and we've got about 1,300 supporters on Facebook, which is really cool. And originally a main thing of what we did was online activism, and so that was just getting ways to get the idea out there to look as big as possible, to be as supportive as possible. It was fun being a one-member uh, organization to have a website and business cards and all this. It's like, it's one guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think there's an old cartoon. It's something like, on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. It's all over <laughs> using a keyboard or something. <laughs> um, it was fun. And it just grew from that one person. It took a couple of years. Then it was two, three, four, five, twenty, thirty, seventy. now about 100 over about three years, three, four years' time it's grown. Um, and so, yeah, we just, any kind of event, if there's a eco festival, for example, we got involved with that and we've had big stalls at the eco festivals. If there's anything about health, uh, there was a health and disability expo that was on each year and we went there as an animal rights group we talk about how respect for animals could also be a kind and compassionate and healthy way to live. And that year, we actually had a stall for this little local vegan society at this big health expo. It had all kinds of national groups there, like government-funded things like the Cancer Society, Heart Foundation, big groups. And yet, we actually won best stall of the whole event, that we had the best display. Oh, wow. <laughs> this little vegan society, just because we're so passionate and helpful, <laughs> we actually voted by the judges of the best stall, which is quite fun to like know that we actually won this thing that we didn't know was a competition even (laughs) Um, anything we can to get active we try and get out there and we have some fun stories like once I was walking home from work and I walk home past a butcher shop and a sheep's milk factory it sells sheep's milk around the world and they make like sheep's milk yogurt and ice cream and all kinds of crap like that Um, yeah it's a non-vegan world we live in and I just happened to find a pair of false teeth on the ground someone's like dentures there was a, a pair of false teeth on the pavement weird I wrote to a local newspaper about it like um, is anyone missing like I don't know they're worth thousands of dollars or whatever custom made false teeth 
And it turns out that, that they belong to a slaughterhouse worker who got <laughs> drunk the night before on the weekend. Um, let's put it this way. He vomited, so he took his false teeth out. Oh, and God. In their bushes, apparently. They weren't, there was nothing bad on the false teeth apart from all the animals he'd eaten and stuff, <laughs> no doubt. Um, he'd put them aside and then kept walking home, like stumbling home drunk, and he left his false teeth behind. <laughs> and so it got to be a new story as well. Like the vegan pie, it became a really cool little spin that a vegan, like the founder of the local vegan society, had helped the slaughterhouse worker. There was a picture of us in the paper and stuff that the vegan helped the slaughterhouse worker <laughs> um, by giving him back his false teeth. That just everyday, unexpected things that you just couldn't write this. You couldn't plan things like this. And just whenever you see an opportunity to really go for it and grab it, um, fun, quirky, creative things that get good ways of showing that animal rights activists are fun and <laughs> nice people, basically, is what we're aiming to be. Like, we, I found out that they belonged to a slaughterhouse worker. I could have destroyed them. Um, you know, there were ways out of the situation before they knew who was handing them in, basically. But by doing the right thing, by helping someone, by not hating him um, for what he did... And realizing that I myself used to eat the product of this slaughterhouse just a decade ago, it actually turned into a fun, positive story that vegans help everyone, that they help animals. And in this case, they help a man find his false teeth after a drunk bender when he was stumbling home drunk. (laughs) (laughs) That's an incredible story Um, for a number of reasons. One that you found a pair of like a set of teeth <laughs> on the sidewalk and then your everyday insurance no good I, that was my follow up question was like how many other sets of teeth have you found um, but then also to have it get that kind of press like you're saying any kind of way of showing that vegans are not just angry people who want to take away your leather boots and your steak but <laughs> who are just pe- like regular normal people who are just trying to do the right thing I, that's great that's not only is it funny but it's also like a good good press for sure well sometimes you see online like jokes about the vegan police and you know my wife and i we run a vegan society we're animal rights activists and you could say that we're hardliners or extremists or whatever and actually i joke about that a little bit um, once my wife had to fly away and I met her at the airport, she flew by herself and I met her at the airport with a sign saying you know like how a chauffeur or whatever like waits mm-hmm. for us Miss like mm-hmm. Tegan or whatever <laughs> I actually met her with a sign saying Ms. Jen Stone, animal rights extremist and I'm waiting for <laughs> the airport to sign and if it was America, like the TSA or whatever they probably would have arrested me or done something you know, the number one animal rights extremist terrorist people, but yeah, I was just standing there in the airport with a sign saying Ms. Jen Stone animal rights extremist <laughs> we have fun with it and I think it's important that you can have fun and show that vegans are real people and can have a joke as well that um, the jokes about being a hardline or being overly consistent or something like that, you can show that a good situation can come from being, say, consistent, like the vegan pie. It had this tiny little non-vegan ingredient, but you can point out, like, it's made out of feathers. Like, do we want feathers in the pie? And you can actually make a positive change and get the feathers taken out of all the pies by just speaking out and actually getting a change to happen. It's quite fun. Right, speaking out and speaking out in a respectful way. way. Right. And the consistency issue is definitely something that I am learning more about, that there is that that the idea of consistency is very contentious among many vegans. And, and that's just so fascinating to me that like that is the thing that people would kind of cling to <laughs> as as like the the issue that they want to really engage with the most when it seems like there are other that that rather than like fighting with one another that maybe there's a little bit more uh pressing issues at hand (laughs) well i think you can have fun with it as well like for me what got me involved with veganism was actually my disgust factor about the idea of wearing dead skin and yet i walk on carpets that are made out of wool and and sit on leather uh, seats if i have to like on an airplane for example and you do it if you have to. I mean, it's not about making a big deal about it. But obviously, like, if I'm buying a couch, am I going to buy an animal skin couch or a, one that's not made out of animal skin? Um, I think there's normally a pragmatic way it can be dealt with where you don't have to compromise how you feel about animals and yet come out with a good outcome, like with the vegan pie, for example. I worried when that went to the media 
when I saw that the media got a hold of, oh, the vegans have actually been eating a non-vegan pie and isn't it hard to be vegan because there's all these non-vegan e-numbers? I worried at first. I thought, oh gosh, they're going to tear us apart. They're going to say that veganism is this terrible, difficult thing that hardly anyone can actually do. Well, it turned out to be the opposite. I mean, it got in the media and they could see that yeah, it was only a small part of the pie as a whole, but most New Zealanders, they heard there were feathers in the pie, and they were like, yeah, we don't want to play a part of this. <laughs> it actually turned into a good thing where people could see that the vegans were consistent, that they didn't want this little E number in the pie, and no vegans really made a big deal about it because the company had already said, we'll rectify this, we'll make it right, we'll do a great thing, and they could see that the vegans were really on board with the company and saying, the company's doing a great job. We love the vegan pie. The vegan pie is selling out. We love what you're doing, Fuel Station. Um, please keep doing it. And it turned out to be a really great outcome and consistent too. Exactly. So tell me about the Santa Parade. Anything with Santa Parade in the name, it automatically is uh, potentially interesting and exciting and Christmassy. <laughs> and Christmassy, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we have a local Santa parade, and what makes it especially interesting is that it's co-sponsored by a slaughterhouse, Lovely. which is just Great. like, wow, a child-friendly <laughs> event, and it's co-sponsored by a slaughterhouse. It's the same slaughterhouse where my dad worked, and where a couple of our members are now vegan members, they used to work at the slaughterhouse as well. So it just goes to show that something like eating animals, killing animals, using animals, it's so mainstream as well, obviously, duh, <laughs> that slaughterhouses can sponsor a Santa parade, and it's not a controversial thing. At least it wasn't until a local animal rights group joined the Santa parade as well. <laughs> Which animal rights group could that possibly be? Hmm. I, I don't know. It's a bit like a Scooby-Doo episode. Like, <laughs> we would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids, you meddling vegan kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah we saw that every year they had this slaughterhouse Santa parade entry and it's got a paper mache tree it's got a Winnie the Pooh theme and it's got these big slaughterhouse banners on the side of it and it doesn't say we kill animals alright you know it doesn't say that but it's just the logo for the slaughterhouse company Alliance which even sounds like a nice thing like yeah mm -hmm. Alliance sounds good people working together right mm -hmm. to kill animals mm -hmm. <laughs> to make profit um and this slaughterhouse, yeah, it's got this enormous float. It's Winnie the Pooh themed. It says like Piglet's house on a letterbox, like Piglet who lives in a tree stump apparently. And it's got all the other main characters, including someone in a Winnie the Pooh costume. And it's a slaughterhouse entry, and yet there's no pig on it. The one animal out of the Winnie the Pooh characters that we commonly eat, the pig, is not actually visible even though it's his house. It says Piglet on the letterbox. Oh, my God. So it kind of makes you think. Like, you make that connection especially. It's like, yeah, the irony of the missing pig from the slaughterhouse entry. There's the owl and there's the rabbit and there's the bear, the yellow bear. <laughs> um, it's quirky. So we've always seen this and we've thought, well, there's two answers to something like this. If you see the positive side or the negative side, like, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to complain? Like, the slaughterhouse can't do that. Are we going to protest it or make a big stink about that? They would probably have a bad result. Like, the vegans are going to be the Grinch that tries to steal away the Santa Parade, the sponsor from the Santa Parade. I don't think that would work very well. Instead, we took the positive approach, the friendly and inclusive and supportive approach. And we basically said, hey, if all these other businesses and things can enter a Santa Parade, of course the local animal rights vegan society can. <laughs> so we entered a vegan entry in our local slaughter, uh, slaughterhouse, slaughter parade. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> local Santa Parade. <laughs> oh, boy. It's a Freudian sleep. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really cool to see that we could do this, that we got it in. And we've always been the animals of Christmas in the past, which basically we had reindeer ears on, we wear vegan t-shirts, we wave to everyone, we carry a vegan banner, we have a great time. Last year, uh, 2015, was a special year in that we're big nerds here. Are you a bit of a nerd, Tegan, or are you too cool for nerdy stuff? I have a podcast. I think uh, that, that's, that, cool. that's, no, that's not very cool. Right? You could You're a rock star. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I'm a big fan of Back to the Future, and we have some vegan friends from the Vegan Kiwi, a popular group, that they're really into Back to the Future as well. And they actually own a DeLorean, the car from Back to the Future. Oh, really? And so last year, 2015, had a very special date on it. The second Back to the Future movie, they go into the future in that second movie, and the date of the future, where, where they arrive with flying cars and hoverboards and holograms of sharks for Jaws 19 or whatever the movie's up to then in the future... <laughs> 
it's October 21st, 2015. That was the date of the future, officially the future. So we thought for Back to the Future Day, October 21st, 2015, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. At least you've got a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had posters up all around the city about, you know, this October 21st, Back to the Future Day, make it a better time for animals, brighten the future for animals. And so we had these big DeLorean posters all over the city of our friend's car. They own a DeLorean. And we made it into an event. We got into the paper. We got interviews about the car for like a car motoring column. Like how often does a vegan group get profiled in like a classic car section of a newspaper in a small city? It doesn't happen. I'm going to go with never, probably never (laughs) in the history of newspapers. Once, Once in a lifetime. So normally like the car's like, yeah, it's a 1960s Ford whatever, it's a 1973 Ford whatever, it's a 1982 Ford whatever. (laughs) We had a 1983 DeLorean in it. And it turned out to be a really cool event that big attention, big media attention, we got the posters all over the city, and we entered the Santa Parade sponsored by a slaughterhouse with a DeLorean and an idea that basically we're vegan for a brighter future, that we can all brighten the future for animals in need. So, yeah, we're in the Santa Parade, sponsored by a slaughterhouse, all these vegans all waving. I'm like, Merry Vegan Christmas, Merry Vegan Christmas, Merry Vegan Christmas, shaking hands with little kids. 20,000 people saw us, and we had a great time with this DeLorean that everyone got really excited about the car, of course, and I think a lot of people uh, wrote to us afterwards and said that they saw the connection and they could see what we're trying to do about a brighter future, that they got it. (laughs) That's what we're working for. That's great. That's really, not only is that incredibly fun but it's also good that people kind of got the they made the connection they put it together it's interesting to hear them actually make the connection verbally which is fun like every year that we've been in the santa parade you hear people like whisper like what's a vegan and (laughs) other ones will be like generally their impression is like they don't eat animals they don't eat meat they don't eat milk that's the language that they identify like how they describe a vegan Mm -hmm. and we just wave and (laughs) wish them merry vegan christmas and so we make a lot of good impressions on people, and uh, we meet people afterwards as well, like some of our best friends. We went to their house last night for dinner. We met them at the Santa Parade. They saw us. They said, oh, I've always wanted to know more about veganism. Well, they've been vegan a couple of years now, and hey. it kind of happened. saw us from the Santa Parade. That's great. So the, Santa, also make, yeah. the, the Santa Parade is um, a effective form of activism. That's what I'm hearing I, you say. <laughs> I definitely recommend it. If you have a Santa Parade in your area, enter an animal rights float. It's great fun. (laughs) And I love to think about what the people on the other floats, like there's the slaughterhouse one. There's a butcher shop has one as well that's got like animals on it, especially little kids that dress up as animals. They dress up as pigs on this one. Great. They've got the missing piglet on their one. And you think, what do the kids say to their dad or whoever owns the butcher shop business or whatever? They say like, dad, what's a vegan? Like, what does the butcher guy say? He'll say like, oh, the people don't eat animals something like that they don't eat meat and then the kid's going to be like oh why don't they eat animals why don't they eat meat why don't they eat lamb chops and stuff and then I mean what's the dad going to say you can imagine all the conversations that will happen like that that people think oh what do vegans do and why aren't we vegan or should we think about veganism is it a pressing issue now that there's vegan pies in the media and vegans and Santa parades Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe I should think about veganism too (laughs) yeah yeah no that sounds like an excellent opportunity to start sparking those conversations for people so um if if you were going to recommend some resources to people about um you know either books or websites or documentaries youtube channels whatever it is what are some um resources that you think that either new or kind of early or maybe just even vegans who've been vegan for a long time but might need something new to be interested in what would you recommend for them oh it's so hard isn't it because there's so many great things and like in new zealand there's so many great animal rights activists throughout the country you could name dozens of them that are doing amazing work um people who are risking rescuing animals and getting exposés into the media like farm watch who risk their lives to go out into farms and to expose what's going on and a bobby calf rescue group called the starfish bobby calf rescue project lindley does a great job with that and it's named after the story about the starfish scenario, and it's it's sort of a philosophical, um, it's sort of a question really, and it's basically about you see all the sh- the starfish that have washed up on a beach, and they see a little kid that's picking up the starfish and throwing them back into the water, and someone says like you can't save all the starfish on the beach, there's thousands of them, 
and basically the person replies with, yeah, but I made a difference for the ones that I am saving, and it's about every life you actually can save, that our little actions to us can actually make a big difference. So there's the Starfish Bobby Calf Rescue Project who do great jobs um, saving animals from the dairy industry. They're called bobby calves here. They're veal calves, basically, in the States. They're killed at a few days old here, these uh, male calves born into the dairy industry through artificial insemination and the like, and the male calves are worthless. They don't produce milk. They can't be made pregnant, so they're killed. So people like, yeah, the Starfish Bobby Calf Rescue Project would be great to check out and to see any groups that are, are in your area, anyone that's helping animals. It could be a cat and dog shelter. You might be able to talk with them about um, how the best ways to help animals in your region are and just getting involved in meeting people who are like-minded who want to help animals. You often find they'll listen to your questions about veganism and things or they'll have questions for you as well and you'll both learn. Um, I'd also recommend the New Zealand Vegan Society and they're at vegansociety.org.nz and that's the main New Zealand Vegan Society. So, yeah, that's the home of veganism in New Zealand. <laughs> great. Those are those are great recommendations. Um, I have had a really lovely time talking with you, Jordan. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And I think that there's a likelihood that we will need to talk again soon because I think that there's a lot more for us to discuss. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Tegan. It was really great talking to you. And uh, it's amazing to meet animal rights activists across the world and people who are vegan and who are putting the ethics and the way they feel about animals and the planet and really putting it into action. I just love meeting people like you. So thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you. Tegan Goes Vegan is found at TeganGoesVegan.com. On Twitter, at TeganGoesVegan. On Pinterest, at TeganGoesVegan. The show is produced by Tegan and Nathan Karuna, with music by Amanda D'Amato. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show more easily. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back soon with more great vegan conversations.